I'm uh, asked to preach today on, on the subject of unity in the Spirit, and um, just one aspect of our lives together in the Spirit, that we enjoy a, a wonderful unity of heart and mind uh, as we work together for the coming of God's kingdom. And we mustn't take that for granted. It's worth fighting for. It's worth striving for. Just before he was crucified, Jesus uh, prayed for all the believers, not just his own disciples or for himself, but for all of us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, his, his disciples. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. That's us here, folks, today. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Isn't this a wonderful thing? That they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So there's this wonderful prayer that Jesus prays, uh, and it's, it's full of purpose. He wants us uh, to be one together in him uh, and to share something of the unity uh, that there is within the Trinity. But of course, Jesus prays this prayer knowing that this won't always be the case, that there will be uh, difficulties ahead for some, that there will be uh, differences of opinion. Uh, people will um, need this prayer. They'll need to be encouraged by this prayer in order to strive for and uh, contend for the unity that he has for us, that he wants for us. Back in the Old Testament, uh, there's a psalm, number 133. I always find this slightly odd. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So far, so good. It's like precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And I think, this is a slightly odd image, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, it, feels a bit, it feels a bit messy somehow. But it's just, it's God's, God's picture there is of blessing flowing. It's, it, we're not to think about, you know, oh, I've got oil all over my clothes or my beard, if I had a beard. But uh, I had a beard at one time, back when I was college. There are some photos somewhere. But uh, uh, for, for reasons which will be evident when you see the photos, I've never had one since. <laughs> anyway, I, I, it seems a, a slightly odd picture, this sort of oil running down. But it's a picture of God's blessing really all over us. And uh, it's something which flows out of unity. And uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he talks about uh, the link between the Holy Spirit and unity in Ephesians chapter 4. And perhaps you'd like to turn there if you've got a Bible handy. We'll just read a few verses here. He writes to me, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We've all experienced that moment where we feel I've got to bear with them <laughs> in love. And uh, that's what Paul encourages us to do. Make every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
And then this is kind of how and also why we can do that. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you, you were called to one hope when you were called, when you, when you came to Christ, when you, when you first knew him as your Lord and Savior. One shared hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So there's, we're not pursuing different objects or sharing different things here. We're all sharing in the same thing and we are pursuing the same thing together. But to each one of us, thank goodness for this, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So we've got God's grace enabling us to live together in unity. And he goes on to say, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's us folks, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's this wonderful picture, which we see also elsewhere in Scripture, uh, in 1 Corinthians particularly, of the body of Christ and uh, of ourselves being a part of this body. And uh, you know what it's like when you know, you've hurt yourself and a bit of the body isn't quite working as it should, uh, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've stubbed your toe on something and you, you, you're hobbling. It, if the body isn't working all of it together, all the rest of it kind of <laughs> experiences that, feels that discomfort. And uh, so, so we're all to work together, to pull together for uh, God's purposes. Of course, we can see in the scripture and also in the history of the church that this unity is a kind of blight. It's like mold waiting to, to grow on a church. And uh, right, back, right back at the start, just after uh, the creation, Cain and Abel fall out. Cain murders his brother because he's jealous. He's envious of uh, Abel's gift having been accepted and his own not having been accepted. You see Joseph and his brothers falling out. Steve preached about this a couple of weeks ago, how... Joseph is, uh, is a little boastful, he has some dreams, and his brothers decide to get rid of him, and they sell him. We'll come back to that in a second. In the time of Jesus, Pharisees and Sadducees, they've fallen out over doctrinal issues. Is there a resurrection? You know, are there spirits? The, the Pharisees believe in both, the Sadducees don't believe in them. They've, they've taken different directions, and they're, they're no longer of one mind together as the people of God. A thousand years later, there's... Uh, what people refer to as the Great Schism uh, in 1054. That's where uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church goes off in one direction. They're, they're excommunicated by the Pope, and they have this great falling out. And it's over, ironically, the question of whether the Holy Spirit proceeds just from the Father, which is what the Eastern Orthodox Church 
was their preferred view, or whether the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And uh, there's this great falling out over this. And every so often, uh, the, the Eastern Orthodox patriarchs and the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury get together and they have a service, and they're, they're trying to repair uh, a breach that is a thousand years old. And there's, there's a disagreement there. Not about whether Jesus died to save us, not about... <laughs> it's just over, a, in, in, a, in a sense, an immaterial thing. Does the Holy Spirit come from the Father alone or from the, or from the Son and the Father? Does it matter? Jesus has saved us, and, and they've, they've got lost down some doctrinal rabbit hole, in a sense, and missed something of the, of the, of the purposes of God. And, of course, we see that at the Reformation, uh, the, the, the Protestant church growing out of that, uh, separating from the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. There's a counter-reformation after that. Even today, that there, are, uh, there are doctrinal differences in the church. So you'll know I do quite a lot of work with the Church of England, and they're having this conversation which they call living in love and faith. And it's about whether uh, people in same-sex relationships can be welcomed, can be blessed uh, as a part of the church, or whether they should not be. And people are, uh, are falling out over that. But unity is right at the heart of the Trinity. When we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about three different parties who've got different ideas about how God's kingdom might come. We're talking about something wonderful in the Trinity, a real unity of heart and mind and purpose. It's difficult to, to get our heads around. It's a difficult concept, the Trinity. And there's irony in the fact that uh, one of the big splits in the church has been over uh, an issue relating to the Trinity about you know, how the Holy Spirit comes to be with us. Does he come from the Father or from the Father and the Son? But we see in the scripture a remarkable harmony between the three persons of the Godhead. And there's nowhere any suggestion of any one of them acting independently or going off to do their own thing or being in opposition to the other two. They're all wonderfully and gloriously of the same mind and heart in glorious agreement. And there's that same harmony between God and the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church. And there's this wonderful intimacy. Jesus dies for the church, giving himself for her. Uh, and his purpose, as we saw in the, the prayer I read at the beginning from John's Gospel, that we should be one with them. So this is amazing. This is a wonderful thing, but we can't be one with the Trinity if we've all got different minds and, and desires about how our church should be. In Ephesians 5, there's a little passage about uh, husbands and wives, isn't there? Another similar passage in, in Colossians as well. And the point of those passages is to, is to say, well, you know, husbands and wives, they demonstrate or intended to demonstrate something of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Uh, a closeness, a unity of heart and mind, uh, and of purpose. And uh, Jesus models this for us in giving his life on the cross. We see that wonderful uh, love being poured out there in Jesus' own blood, his body dying on the cross as a ransom for many. He didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. But only a few years later, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church saying, come on, guys.
guys, you know, you've fallen out with each other. What's going on here? Some of you saying, uh, I, I, I follow Paul, another saying, I follow Apollos, another one saying, uh, I follow Cephas or Peter, another one, I follow Christ. And he says, is, is Christ divided? No, he's not. Was, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? No. No, he says, I didn't baptize any of you except maybe one or two and the household of Stephanus. Uh, he says, this is, this is a nonsense argument that you're having amongst yourselves about, you know, I follow this leader, I follow that leader. Maybe it's the fault of the leaders too. They hadn't, they hadn't really coalesced in unity. They, they'd all got their own little agendas and uh, were pursuing perhaps a different vision of church. I'm so grateful. I, I dislike, uh, I dislike uh, arguments. Um, <laughs> we don't have any arguments here. Uh, I just do what the other two say, and uh, everything's fine. <laughs> but we, we're all of one heart and mind about uh, seeing God's kingdom come here, seeing his church grow, seeing, uh, seeing his church built as the work of the Spirit takes place amongst us. So uh, Paul, Paul is, is critical of the Corinthians because they've already lost the plot. They're only kind of 30 or 40 years on from the crucifixion by the time he's writing to them. And he's saying, look, you know, we'll judge angels. How can we be falling out amongst one another? How can we be having lawsuits against each other? Uh, he says, this, this, is, this, is, this is, you know, madness, really. Uh, it's an indication you've already been defeated. So disunity is harmful to the church. It gets in the way of God's desire uh, that, that the church should glorify Jesus, that we should share the gospel with those around us uh, and see his kingdom come. And if we're arguing amongst ourselves, then we're unlikely to see uh, people thinking, well, that's, that looks good, I'll join in. You know, people come because there's a harmony and a peace here. But God can use uh, even disunity. So going back to the story of Joseph and his brothers, uh, Steve unfolded this for us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, he'd fallen out with his brothers, or they'd fallen out with him. Uh, they throw him in, a, in a, a cistern, which is a bit muddy but empty of water. Then they sell him to some traders who take him down. They sell him to Potiphar, uh, who's the uh, captain of Pharaoh's guard in Egypt. He's falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar, and he's thrown into prison. He gets some further adventures there. Uh, and then he's rescued and promoted to being the prime minister of Egypt. And uh, he institutes a 20% tax on harvests. He collects in grain uh, during a period of seven years of plenty. Then there's seven years famine, and he's able uh, to administer uh, provision for the whole land during that season of famine. At the end of the story, relationships are restored. They're all friends again. And... Um, Joseph says uh, at the end of his life, what, what you'd intended as harm, speaking to his brothers, God intended for good. God had some purposes in that difficult season, and he's brought good out of it. The whole land has been uh, spared from, from famine, and uh, people, many lives have been saved. So, so God can work even through uh, that, that disunity, and we see that as well in the death of Jesus. Uh, he's... He's brought before Pilate, he's falsely accused, uh, everybody's demanding his crucifixion. But we see God's purposes being worked out through that. God, had, God knew this was coming, Jesus knew it was coming. He'd already told his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, uh, I'll, I'll be killed there, and on the third day, rise again. 
And so we see God's purposes working, even in this kind of craziness of the mob shouting to Pilate, give, a, give us, Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, give us back Barabbas. And it's just, it's just madness, it's a riot going on, but God's purposes are working out even through that acute disunity there. God had planned for Jesus to die on the cross to be a redeeming sacrifice for our sin and guilt and shame to be dealt with so that we might be able to worship God with integrity. So he works out his purposes even through our arguments. So that's the first point, perhaps, that, that disunity is not always a disaster. We don't want to seek it, of course, but even then God can work wonderful things out through it, and we must be looking for his purposes. Then if there is broken relationship, we can seek to uh, repair them, knowing that God's heart is in this. And Jesus uh, tells his disciples, look, turn the other cheek. You know, if somebody takes your, your coat, give him, give him your tunic as well, you know, uh, don't, don't be always looking out for your own interests. Seek uh, the, the greater purpose that God has in your life. Demonstrate, model the, the grace of God. Broken relationship is, is right at the heart of the Bible story in the fall. You know, God, God's heart is for relationship in unity with us, and we see that in Jesus' prayer. But we see it broken. You know, it's, oh. So it's, it's such a moment of, of, of sadness there, of of, of heartache and uh, Adam and Eve are uh, evicted from the garden but God knew that would happen and he, it was all part of his plan to demonstrate his love for us and, and if, G, if Jesus hadn't died for us we might, we might think oh well you know, God loves us you know, we're in the garden it's all rather lovely uh, it's fine but, but by demonstrating his love for us Jesus dies on the cross you know, what greater demonstration could there have been of his love for us so this is all, all God's purposes here and his purpose is to repair broken relationship primarily between us and him he says in Romans 5.10 while we were still God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more than having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life there's God's purpose wonderfully here Colossians 1.22, now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So God's, God's purposes are worked out to restore relationship. And we see in Ephesians 2 as well, Paul writes about uh, the effects of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Somehow they've restored that broken relationship between Jew and Gentile which was a significant divide in the ancient world. The, the Jews were not to associate with Gentiles, and that was the kind of Old Testament pattern. But then suddenly Jesus reconciles folks, heals those ancient, ancient divisions, and restores relationship. It says in uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 14, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, He's destroyed the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, so there's unity with Jesus in this, one new humanity out of the two, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put together, by which he put to death, sorry, their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There's a real sense of <laughs> Jesus has done something. It's hard to, to encompass in words what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That There are different dimensions to it, different aspects to it. We, as we reflect on this and read the scripture, we see, oh, he did that too. We did this for me, but he did this for the church. He's done this for uh, broken communities, communities where uh, relationships are, uh, are in a terrible state. And as we reflect on the work of Jesus on the cross, we can see that his purpose is to restore relationships. So if we find ourselves having a cross moment with one another, or just out of sorts, just remember that Jesus' purpose is, is to restore relationships. That he died on the cross, gave his life for that. And we, we, we don't really have the right to persist in grumpiness with each other when Jesus died on the cross for, uh, for us. And we're to make every effort, it says at the start of Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We'll see in a moment the Holy Spirit uh, enables uh, unity and also works through it wonderfully. But we've got a role to play too. We've got to make every effort. It's not just, oh, well, I'll wait here until God causes the other person to see the error of their ways. That's <laughs> how we feel sometimes, isn't it? They're wrong. I'll wait until they see. But let's, 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 let's make every effort to put things right yeah, if we find ourselves uh, with relationships in a, in a poor state. And then thirdly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, both to enable and build unity but also to be present and to work through it to bless. And as we're preaching through this series, this term about living in the Spirit, we're looking for this, to see God's blessing come uh, as, we, as we live together in unity. We see from Ephesians 2.22 that God lives by his Spirit in the church, which is the body of Christ, and where brothers dwell together in unity, there's this kind of oily blessing flowing, this, this blessing of the Holy Spirit uh, covering us. And we see that at Pentecost when the Spirit first comes. <laughs> this is just an amazing moment where people uh, hear wonderful things uh, being declared in their own language. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. They, why, why is this happening? Because they've been waiting, they've been praying together, uh, they've been waiting in, in uh, obedience to what Jesus said. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. And then at Pentecost, this comes, wonderful blessing comes because they've all been of one heart and mind as they've been waiting on God, praying together. And then over the subsequent weeks, we see uh, they're all devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, everyone filled with awe. And uh, it says um, they're meeting together, eating together, glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. So there's, there's a blessing coming out of this wonderful moment of, of unity uh, at the start of the, uh, the life of the church as we know it now. And it's the Holy Spirit uh, who brings this about, who brings about this transformational moment where uh, instead of being uh, fearful, hiding in the upper room, praying together, suddenly they're out declaring uh, the praises of God and God's purposes. And uh, when we see later on in Acts 15, they're uh, think about how to address this issue about you know, whether folks should be circumcised or not to be a part of the church. Uh, they read that they'd sought the wisdom of God and they were able to say, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now they could have, they could have sat down and written a whole gloss on the Old Testament 
law and thought, that, well, we'll just update this a bit and dust it off a bit. And, but no, this isn't a new legalistic uh, uh, society. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, an entity which is to be full of rules and regulations. Just a few simple uh, guidelines. That's all we need to, to give here. The Holy Spirit enabling them to move away from a culture of legalism and strict compliance to a, a new culture of grace. Ephesians 4.3 speaks of the unity of the Spirit. We read that at the beginning. And are making every effort to maintain it. There's one body, one Spirit. We share one body and one Spirit. Verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists, to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's about a body working together in harmony, effectively. We all know what it feels like, don't we, when you know, a bit of the body isn't working quite right. It just holds us back. We can't do all the things that we want to do. So it is with the body of Christ. If, if we're working together in harmony, everything's functioning, fully supporting the other parts of the body. Everything works perfectly, and we can do all that God's called us to. And this same Holy Spirit that Paul is talking about is given to each one of us. And we recognize one another as parts of the body of Christ. And it's also through this one spirit that we have access to the Father. These are beautiful truths, aren't they? That uh, we're, we're called to work together in unity. We've together access to the Father, our Heavenly Father. We know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it's as we, as we realize that and make it real to folks around us that God's church is built and his kingdom comes as we work together under the direction of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his purposes and his will. I'll just recap in a moment, but perhaps Ed, you could come up and uh, be ready to lead us again in worship. So God's purpose for us is that we should be one together, working together. That's what Jesus' prayer for us was right back before his crucifixion. He went to his crucifixion with that in his heart, thinking, I'm doing this for this purpose, that those folks who will come to know me and hear the gospel in future will be one. He laid down his life with that thought in his mind. When we get things wrong, God can still use that. He can still bring about his purposes, even though we make a, a, a model out of it. God can still work. Let's, let's be looking for God's purposes to be uh, completed. Where there are broken relationships, let's make every effort to put things right. Let's, let's work together. Let's be one in heart and mind as we seek to worship God. And let's be looking for this work of the Spirit to help us with that, but also as we work together in unity to see the work of the Spirit coming to bless what we're doing. I believe God's got some great things for us. We're not, we're not done yet. We've got more ahead of us. I mean, I haven't quite been around the clock twice in terms of the life of kings. I'm, I'm getting towards uh, the second time round, round, the, round the track. Uh, it's a few years away before I'm 70. But um, you know, it's not that far. But I've seen some beautiful things already. And I know God's got much more for us. And I see the next generation here and the generation after and the generation after that coming. And... God's got some wonderful purposes here. 
and he's going to work out those purposes elsewhere as we send folks off maybe to Watton and at different places. Some of us will end up around the world in different places. But as we do that, we're going as a part of the body of Christ with a single heart and mind to see God's purposes come to pass, to see all that he purposes for us realized before Jesus returns. Those are great purposes. Those are great things to be involved in. Those are worthwhile things to be striving for and contending for. Let's just pray.